Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 140 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and today we're starting a two-part uh, series on beneficial ownership. Today we're going to talk about addressing be beneficial ownership issues in your compliance program. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to just uh, say to everybody, hope you're staying safe, healthy, uh, that your family and friends are okay. Uh, you know, it's still uh, a rough time here, and uh, hopefully we'll start to see uh, some reopening and, and getting back to work, even though I know a lot of people are working from home. Um, but we'll start to see the economy improving as well. So uh, I thought I'd uh, address beneficial ownership because we always hear uh, about how important beneficial ownership is in terms of understanding uh, corporate structures, uh, knowing who your customers are, knowing who your third parties are, and how we get into the beneficial ownership issue, uh, and how practical, and we eventually, uh, I want to discuss sort of practical approaches to the problem, because it's not just uh, a problem where you have to basically dedicate massive amounts of resources to determine beneficial ownership. It's just not a practical solution. Uh, for every entity with whom uh, you deal or with which you deal. So today let's talk about, uh, just to get started on this, and then uh, I'll post tomorrow the second part, um, but uh, is addressing beneficial ownership requirements in your compliance program. And we always hear about the importance of beneficial ownership, the requirement that companies confirm beneficial ownership of its third parties, vendors, and suppliers, and at the same time, there's increasing pressure from regulators and law enforcement, you know, to identify these beneficial owners, unravel complex beneficial ownership schemes uh, when dealing uh, with business partners in particular. And there's no question that it's really a critical issue um, and that, you know, I've always said that third-party due diligence to be effective must include beneficial ownership analyses because of the risks. So let's start with just looking at the picture on beneficial ownership and the regulation uh, regulations that apply around the world. Without sort of belaboring the point, the United States is well behind other countries, particularly the EU, in tackling this difficult issue. Uh, FinCEN, uh, the part of the Treasury Department, finally implemented customer due diligence regulations in 2018. Those are applicable just to financial institutions, as that term is defined, and it's a broad term. Uh, but the United States is definitely behind uh, the EU, for example, with regard to legal requirements on disclosure of beneficial ownership. The European Union's fifth uh, AML directive imposes on member countries specific requirements that they create a beneficial ownership registry, similar to the one already established and operating in the United Kingdom, where you can obtain uh, beneficial ownership information of UK corporates. 
Now, uh, the jury is still out on how effective and reliable the, let's say, like the registries are, but at least it's a fresh start to the uh, issue. Now, Congress has, here in the United States, has several proposals to consider in this area, and there's increased interest in uh, strengthening U.S. regulation of beneficial ownership, especially against uh, sort of shell companies and tax avoidance methodologies. Uh, and it would be a great development for regulators. Law enforcement is, and prosecutors are obviously uh, lobbying Congress to uh, and trying to influence Congress on the importance of this. And for too long, uh, you know, money launderers and other white-collar criminals have taken advantage of the U.S. lax system surrounding shell companies' beneficial ownership and other issues needed to enable transparency and disclosure of the real parties and interest. So uh, the U.S., for that reason, still has large money laundering risks. Um, and there's, it's no wonder you can open up a company in Delaware start a company there in, you know, sort of the most well-established state, and you don't have to disclose who the owners are of the company. So, um, obviously, you disclose your organizers or your board members, but you don't have to disclose your, uh, your owners. So, as a first step in a sort of a refresher from a compliance officer standpoint, let's review the basic importance of beneficial ownership requirements. Uh, the term beneficial ownership means the natural person owner of an entity, so uh, of a corporation, a partnership. Who is the natural person? Uh, as you strip the layers away of a legal entity, eventually you uncover or reach the natural person or persons who owns or controls the entity. From an anti-corruption perspective, compliance officers have to identify the natural person owners of third parties, vendors, and suppliers. In other words, a third party may contain a hidden foreign government official owner as a means to pay a bribe to the foreign official as part of uh, payments made to the or as part of uh, payments made to the entity. A classic case involved Manuel Vicente, who was the former president of Sonangal, the Angolan state-owned oil and gas company, who owned a secret 10% ownership interest in a company that in turn was part owner of a drilling operator. Vicente was provided this ownership interest in exchange for his assurance that the partnership would be awarded a valid tract of uh, land for exploration. Actually, it was offshore drilling. So a company that joins the drilling partnership has to be aware of the beneficial owners of its joint venture partners. Vicente was able to disguise his ownership interest and escape detection for years. Eventually, the company uncovered his ownership interest and disclose the matter to the Justice Department and the SEC. Now, so we're looking on the one hand on anti-corruption, we're looking for uh, undisclosed government interests. Now, just to complicate matters for compliance officers, beneficial ownership has direct and significant implications for compliance with OFAC sanctions. Companies are for prohibited from transacting business with specially designated nationals, uh, SDNs, either as third parties, vendors, suppliers, and another category, customers. And OFAC maintains a critical, uh, what's called the 50% rule, which prohibits companies from dealing with any entity that is uh, owned 50% or more by one or more SDNs. 
So to translate this rule, here's, uh, here's an example. If SDNA owns 30% of entity C and SDNB owns another 30% of entity C, entity C is a prohibited entity even though it is not specifically listed on OFAC's SDN list because the combination of SDNA and SDNB in the example I gave is 30% plus 30%, which is 60%. Okay, um, so given this risk pictures, now companies have to tailor their controls differently depending on anti-corruption or sanctions risks. For example, if an SDN owns only a 10% interest in company A, OFAC sanctions would not prohibit your company from conducting business with company A. For reputational reasons, however, your company may choose not to deal with company A because of the presence of uh, an SDN. But a minimum, however, your company will have to monitor and refresh inquiries concerning the SDN's ownership share and ensure that the SDN does not have links or agreements with other owners such that the SDN exercises control over the entity. From the anti-corruption perspective, the SDN's 10% equity interest in the company may reflect a bribery payment to the SDN government official as a corrupt exchange for increased business or omission of government action. That's, and this is um, like the uh, Manuel Vicente example that we went. Again, the circumstances will dictate the corruption risks in this situation. And at a minimum, it's a large red flag that may ultimately prevent your company from dealing with Company A because of the SDN government official ownership interest. So when we talk about, um, you know, the importance of beneficial ownership, uh, there's often a disconnect, and this is what I find, and perhaps the reason that I wanted to do this, this podcast series, between the theory and the reality. Everyone understands the legal and compliance risks and how they apply to third parties, vendors, and suppliers. But when a compliance officer considers the burden of researching and uncovering beneficial ownership interests, they quickly sort of resist the need for such an analysis across the population. And that's for good reason. So assume that a company has third-party vendor and supplier population of 20,000 or more entities, organizations, and that's a reasonable number for a mid-sized global company. Now add to this list the number of company customers the company has, let's say another 10,000 or so, and you have a total population of 30,000 that needs to be subject to beneficial ownership disclosure. And that's just unrealistic to think that we're going to uncover all 30,000 uh, and that we have the time to uncover all the beneficial owners of every one of these entities. OFAC and sanctions regulations, remember, apply to all company transactions. Companies are prohibited from dealing with SDN customers, whether they're on the SDN list or they are owned 50% or more by one or more SDNs. Obviously, the implications of such a requirement uh, are significant. But to complicate uh, matters more, an anti-corruption risk analysis relating to a vendor-supplier turns on two specific issues. First, whether the entity or person serves in a representative capacity for the company. In other words, third parties, vendors, or suppliers that do not interact with government interests on your company's behalf do not create potential bribery risks. Second, whether the entity includes uh, 
or is closely connected to a foreign government official's ownership interest. In assessing this risk, a, a company has to examine whether the third party has a foreign government ownership interest or whether such an interest is held by a close family member to the foreign government official. Now, in both of the situations that I just mentioned, the risk of bribery is evident by the representative relationship or the direct government ownership interest in the third party vendor or supplier, because that government ownership interest may reflect a bribery scheme or a bribery payoff. So in the first situation, it's critical, uh, and this is the representative capacity situation, it's critical to examine the nature and scope of interactions that third party vendor or supplier will have on the company's behalf. Remember the representational element with the foreign government. We're all familiar with the range of interactions, including government tenders and contracts, regulatory functions such as health and safety, tax, labor, immigration, visas, licenses, inspection certificates, customs, visas, uh, as well, or customs bringing in products, you know, exports, imports. Now, in the second situation where you have a, a potential government ownership interest risk, companies have to identify the specific ownership interest, drill down to all the natural person owners of the company. If a government official owns a partial interest in the vendor supplier, the company has to examine the role of the government owner in the company's business. That is, does the government official have a role in the government that he or she could leverage to benefit the company? If the government official serves in the state-owned oil and gas company and the potential third party provides oil and gas services, then the, the partial owner certainly could leverage his or her position to favor the vendor supplier and increases bribery risk. Such a case is a showstopper, but there are many other types of cases where the government official has a remote connection to the vendor supplier's business. The FCPA guidance from 2012, a great document, which I still commend people to read, includes a specific hypothetical to address this issue and outlines a strategic approach to permit engaging a third party with a foreign government official owner. For example, if the foreign government official owner was the served in the government as the head of education and the business interest that the, the government owner has has no interactions and has nothing to do with education, uh, the question is, can you maintain, uh, can you do business with that entity that has the foreign government owner? And there are ways to do it and protections that you can put into place. And that's what the FCPA guidance talked about. So that's sort of an overview of the beneficial ownership issue, uh, some of the risks that we're talking about. Uh, and uh, I'm going to also uh, post right after this uh, another uh, podcast that's going to examine some of the practical approaches uh, to addressing these risks. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. 
you can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. The smile.